Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Good to see y'all here. Like Pastor James mentioned, my name is Ricky. I uh, lead the middle schoolers and junior high and high schoolers here. And um, kind of thankful to be speaking today. Thank you for the opportunity. How many of y'all are thankful for our pastors, Pastor James and Pastor Cody? Even though the Broncos fans, it's been a rough year. He's going to enjoy the game tonight, I think, the Super Bowl. If you didn't know, the Super Bowl is tonight. It's actually kind of cool to see a full service, second service. I thought y'all would be at home grilling or smoking food or smoking food, food, meat. Just be clear, the left side's not laughing. We're gonna pray for the left side. We know how to now. <laughs> Last week, uh, we talked about in our human series, how to love difficult people. Uh, and this week, we're gonna continue in this series in week three, talking about habits. Everyone say habits. Today, the topic is habits shape the human heart. Habits shape the human heart. Healthy habits, holy ones, not so holy ones, not so good ones. Did you know that your habits affect other people? That your habits affect the kingdom of God? That they affect the things and the people that are around you? And because we're in the digital age, a lot of our habits are built around this thing right here. So if you have a cell phone, go ahead and pull it out of your purse or your pocket. Some of y'all are already texting. Stop texting, but pull your phone out, get it ready, put it next to you right in your seat. We're gonna use this in just a few moments. I'll tell you how and why, but go ahead and get it out, get it ready. Um, and we're gonna get to that in just a second. You know, I wasn't always in church on staff uh, helping out. I used to be in retail with a business degree. How many of y'all work retail by a show of hands, some form or fashion? Was in retail for 11 years. And if you know, if you've been in retail, there are crazy bosses and there are crazy customers. And I'm not sure which one is worse because uh, one you gotta deal with on a daily basis, but one will cuss you out um, all the time. That's the customer. In retail, there was many, many times, many days, I would get in my car after um, a conflict or a blow up or an argument with my boss or a coworker or a customer. I'd get in my car and start driving. And how many of y'all, you replay that situation or that argument in your head? You think about all the things you should have said and that you could have said. And if, well, if they said this again, that I would say that. And you replay it over and over and have like these fake arguments and you're driving home and, and you uh, call your boss in your head and you're like, man, you know, I wish you would have come out there and handled that difficult customer. I would have paid to see you get yelled at like I did. I remember Black Friday one time as an old man had his cane pointed at me right here in my face. And my boss came up to me afterwards, like, hey, you could have handled that better. I'm like, excuse me? You get paid three times more than I do and you watch that happen. So you have those arguments in your head or maybe it's a customer and I always try to tell the angry customers, look, I'm trying to help you out. I get paid if you buy this or not. I'm just trying to make you happy. Let me help you. And so I would have these arguments in my head and I would get all the way home and I would think about, okay, well, maybe I'll just call in and put my two week notice in. No matter of fact, I'm gonna quit. And then I'd open my eyes, I'm in my driveway. I'm like, how did I get here? I don't remember turning on my blinker or which exit I took. Was there a wreck? I don't know. How many of y'all have like, you've been in your car and you got to some place and you don't know how you got there. You don't remember a thing about it. Sometimes I do that with my kids or cooking dinner. Is it possible that if we can develop the ability to drive without really thinking about it, critically thinking that we can develop other habits in our life without having those in our mind as well? 
Is it possible that we have habits that we've developed over time that may not be the best thing for us? I read this stat this week. I had to look it up a few different times. I did not believe the accuracy of this stat, but you can go home and look it up yourself if you don't believe me. Only 5% of what we do on a day-to-day comes from critical thinking. 95% of what we do is off of our habits and our responses and our beliefs. We don't really have to think about it. So some examples is that putting on your shoes or how you get in and out of bed, uh, hopefully brushing your teeth at least once or twice a day. Hello, come on. Um, And the thing about these, you don't have to critically think about them. They just happen after a certain period of time. Our habits, once we do them over and over and over, they just become things that we do. So with your phone, how many of y'all have an iPhone by a show of hands? Raise your hands, come on. There we go. So everyone who's not raising your hand, we're gonna pray for you right after service. But what I want you to do is get your phone out And I want you to click on settings. Everyone get your phone out, click on settings. And when you click on settings, click on screen time. Don't worry, I'm not gonna judge you, you're gonna judge me, just wait. Click on screen times and then click on see all activity. Right now it looks great because all you see is uh, today, about three hours since you've been up, second service. And um, what I want you to do is to scroll down and then click last week. There's an arrow at the top of your screen Click it to go back to last week. And some of y'all are beginning to see your screen time from last week. My average, uh uh-oh, don't judge me, was four and a half hours a day on my phone last week. Now, the only side note to that is I watch YouTube sermons on my phone pretty often. But besides that, I have no excuse. But what I want you to go look down is to scroll all the way down and you see your pickups. Did you know that your phone tracks how many times you pick it up? Now you do if you're there. <laughs> Y'all are making the same noise as first service made. You're not very happy with yourself. I thought mine was gonna be under like 50 or 60 or 70. My average pickups last week, 173 times a day on my phone. <laughs> Judge a pastor in church, I wish you would. Anyway, um, is it possible that we do things without thinking about it? 173 times I pick up my phone on a daily basis Proverbs 27, 19, it says this, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. So if your life reflects your heart, what is shaping your heart? As humans, our habits, the things that we do, they do things to us. The things that you and I do on a daily basis, they do things to us. Our phone, whether we agree or not, it shapes us. Culture is trying to shape us. Our habits shape us. Habits shape humans. Everyone say that after me. Habits shape humans. And our habits determine how we interact, how we engage, how we invest in people's life, how how we're selfish or not selfish, how we live with other humans. So there's a working definition that I have put um, on the screens in my notes that you could write down. This is not from Google. This is just how I want to define habits for today. Uh, habits are the things that we do consistently that shape our heart. Habits are things that we do consistently that shape our heart. Some habits bring our heart into order and some habits will bring our heart into disorder. Let's pray before we go any further. Lord God, I thank you for your word. Lord, without your word, without your spirit, I am nothing. We're not here for anything but those, Lord, for you to speak to us. Lord, your word says that it is sharper than the double-edged sword, that when it is spoken, when it goes forth, that it does not return void. So Holy Spirit, use the word. 
to impact people's lives for now and for eternity. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. So today I wanna ask you some questions and I want you to think about them in your own life. Before we get into that, Paul is where we're gonna be, not Paul, Romans, but Paul wrote it, is where we're gonna be at. Romans 12 is our text, Romans 12, one and two. So if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app, go ahead and flip there. We're gonna be there the rest of the morning. But Paul lays out a plan for addressing culture and habits. And in Romans, Paul was writing, the Romans, and they were surrounded a lot like we are in our culture by very heavy practices that our culture has that the Romans had. And even the Romans, just like us, had a pretty clear picture of what a successful Roman is supposed to look like or what a successful American is supposed to look like. And those things, they had cultural habits and cultural practices and cultural norms that went with it. And so throughout Romans, Paul holds up two things or two trains of thoughts, the pattern of Christ in the pattern of culture. The pattern of Christ and the pattern of culture. The question we have to ask ourselves with help of the Holy Spirit is what habits am I doing the most and what impact are they having in my life? So it's a very practical message today. What habits am I doing the most and what impact is this having in my life? What is this producing in me? We have to see that everything that we do as a human, it is formative, it is shaping us. It's choices that we make, that is who we become. Everything shapes us. So what is shaping you? Number one is that we need to recognize what gets our attention. We need to recognize what we worship. Everyone say worship. So Romans 12:1 says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship is a matter of your life. It's not necessarily what just comes out of your mouth. Worship is not just for Sundays. Worship is not just Sunday. Worship is not just Sunday. It is the orientation and the posture and position of our entire life. Our day-to-day habits, our day-to-day how we act and how we think and how we speak, what we do in private, what we do in public, that is our worship. It's a quote that I wanna read. It says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice is what we worship. So maybe it's money, possessions, things, it's popularity, it's a title, it's, it's fame, it's identity, it's intelligence, it's rank, it's freedom, it's your spouse, it's your kids, it's your calendar, it's sports, and maybe it's even yourself. It says, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into. Day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. So we have to ask ourselves, it's not do I worship, it is what do I worship? Not am I worshiping something, but what am I worshiping? What we give our attention to opens the door to our heart. What we give attention to opens the door to our heart. So I have a six-year-old, her name is Ellie, and I have a four-year-old, his name is Kai. What opens the door to Ellie's heart is candy and sugar and caffeine. (laughs) Kai, he's our four-year-old, there's a picture of Kai right here. 
He's adorable. Um, I know that's not how you hold fish. He would not put his hand in the fish's mouth for any reason that day. But Kai, he, he loves to dig holes. And if you've not been to my house, which many of you have not, thank you. Um, it is my backyard about the size of this state. My backyard is not very big at all. And what I was realizing during the winter is this guy was taking a shovel and digging dozens of like foot-sized holes in my backyard. So I just thought in the springtime, I'm gonna roll my ankle so many times in this backyard, push him a lawnmower. So I made him fill in all the holes but one. I said, I said, Kai, why do you dig all of these holes? He said, well, I like bugs. I'm like, okay, but you can find bugs without digging holes. But what he does is he'll, he'll dig these holes where the water comes off the roof and like the downspout, and he'll dig right there. And I have a hole that's a foot deep in my backyard right now. And he'll take out worms and crickets and slugs. The thing is, is that these bugs have Kai's heart, like dramatically. And the thing is, is he'll hold them in his hand. How many of y'all have a, a boy or girl that will just take a bug and just hold on to it or put it in their pocket? He didn't put it in a little plastic cage we have for it. He didn't put it in a Tupperware. He puts it in his hand and he squeezes it and he won't let go. And so he'll hold on to this thing for eight or 10 or 12 minutes and I'll finally get him to open up his hand and the bug is dead. And through the locked door to the back, I'm just kidding, it's not locked, but through the door, I can hear Kai. I can hear him in the backyard saying, Daddy! My slug is dead. My slug is dead. I'm like, dude, it's okay. We got more slugs around here somewhere. He's holding on to it too tightly and he's not letting it go. What from culture do you hold on to tightly that you're not letting go that is slowly taking you out? What do you keep doing over and over and over that's a habit from your phone or from culture that's not of the Lord that if you keep holding on to it, it's slowly going to take you out. And additionally, what are the patterns? What are the things that come from that that you have to do that go with that thing? A really religious way to ask this is what is worshiping what you're worshiping producing in you? What is the attention that you're giving this thing or this person or this idol, that's what scripture calls it, what is it doing to the inside of you? What you give your attention to is the person that you become. So if I give all my attention to Taco Bell, I'm gonna turn into a $5 box. And to me, that's not a bad thing whatsoever. If I give all of my attention to what's on TV with sports as my kids are wanting to go outside to play, I can become a disconnected dad. If I live for people's approval and I give my attention to that, then eventually I'm gonna become someone that dies from their rejection. We are what we behold. And so if I give my attention to sweet tea and, and fried chicken and I'm attracted to my cousin, I'm gonna become an Alabama fan. It's just how it happens. It's just how it works. Ah, feels great. Glad you came. Church is over. All right. What we give our attention to shapes our character. What you behold is what you become. What you worship shapes you. So we have to recognize what we worship. And number two is that we must resist cultural formation. Romans 12, two, part A says, do not conform. Everyone say conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You will always adopt the culture that you are accustomed to. The reason that I do not look like I've been around the Chinese culture is because I haven't. The reason I've I don't look like the Haitian cultures. I've only been there twice for like two weeks in Haiti. So I'm not gonna look like that culture. We're going to look like the culture that we're accustomed to unless we resist it. What are the gods of our culture? 
What do they look like? You know, have you think about it this way? If you're an archaeologist and you come back 100 years from now or 1,000 years from now and you dig up our society and the ruins that's left, whether it's actual or in the cloud, I don't know how that's going to be. But if we go back and we dig in our society, what are they going to see that we idolize above everything else? What are they gonna see that we placed above ourselves and our families and our marriages and church and God? What is going to be our culture's idol? The gods of our culture, here's a few I think that are relevant today is entertainment, sex, technology, influence, fame, image, identity, the physical appearance, the cathedral that these things live in, this is the sanctuary. This is where they're worshiped at. The habits and the practices that come with these is that we wake up to it. Y'all, I'm so bad at this. I wake up to it, it's the first thing I look at. We go to the bathroom with it. We go to lunch break with it and we end up scrolling ourselves to sleep with it. And then we wake up and we do it all again the very next day. Please hear me, church, our phones and culture are forming us whether we agree or not, whether we want them to or not, we have to resist it. Did you know the algorithm on your phone knows you more than you know you? It is designed to give you what you crave and what you hunger for. I was picking my kid up um, from school on Tuesday. It's about four o'clock. Notification on my phone, Taco Bell is seven minutes away. <laughs> Taco Tuesday. It's like, how do you know this about me? It knows us and it forms us. So what is this producing in us? And what is this producing to the people around us. The first thing is that it is producing comparison and envy. I don't view myself as old, but I'm getting there. Um, but for a lot of us my age and older, when we were playing with our friends or not playing with our friends, if we were alone, we just had to assume our friends were off playing somewhere with the other cool kids. Now kids get to see that live on their phone every day. They get to see what they don't have. They get to see times that other people are having. I've even had some students say that my parents post things that aren't actually happening at home so we could be compared to the other families. This came out of their mouth. That who you see on social media is not who we are at home. It's creating comparison and envy. It's creating consumerism. So much of our life is built around consuming things that make us feel a certain way. Now look, shopping is not bad. Thank goodness the first service came dressed because you'd be sitting where they were, you know. So we have to shop to buy clothes. We have to shop to get things. But if we're buying things to impress people or if we're buying things that um, are trying to fill a void in our heart or to erase a memory or block out pain, maybe our mindset is off on that. Consuming things, not just shopping, but consuming things to numb our feelings or to numb the past or to numb what's going on in our life. We have to resist those things. And look, consumerism has made its way into the church. Did you know this was supposed to be holy ground? And I believe it is. But so many people have, and look, I've been there too for a season of my life where they come into church and what's supposed to be holy ground is turned into golden corral and people pick and choose what they want and they come back in seven days and they'll eat it again. And look, we understand people are gonna shop around to find a home church. That's what we all had to do at one point but eventually you have to get rooted and you have to get connected and stop consuming and actually contribute and serve and help out. And this isn't a condemnation, this is the Lord's will for you. As pastors, this is our heart for you to not just consume in church, but to be the church and not just in this building, but outside the walls as well. 
Everything in culture says if you eat more, if you consume more, you'll be happy and you'll have peace. And if that doesn't taste good, then come over here and try this and consume more. And I promise you, you'll have more peace and you'll be more happy. If that doesn't work, then come back over here and consume this. And it's wearing us out. Peace and happiness does not come from consumerism. A lot of this formation is coming from our phones, anxiety, Anxiety disorders are at a historical high at the same time as the rise of social media and streaming platforms. I cannot be convinced that they are not connected in some way. As a student pastor, y'all, the number one issue that I see in students is this, anxiety. And they ask us almost literally, what do I do with these thoughts in my head? How do I get these thoughts to stop? And adults have them too. How do I stop worrying? How do I stop being anxious? How do I stop being stressed? I'm, I'm on borderline depression. What do I do with my thoughts? Anxiety produces a discontentment. And there's seasons in our life where we have low lights and we're on social media looking at everyone else's highlights, wondering why we're not happy in our marriage, not happy with our family or with our kids or with our body or with our job or even with our God because we're discontent comparing and we've allowed social media and Hollywood to disciple us in a 30-minute appetite. And if God doesn't move just as fast, we're done. If our spouse doesn't move just as fast, we're out. We have to resist those things. Disconnection. How is it, church, that we are so disconnected when we're the most connected that we've ever been because of our phones? Could it be that we're so on this or in, involved with this and we're not looking at the people around us? Could it be that we're so much into culture that we're missing what God is trying to do every day in our life? Look, if culture is saying one thing, but if Christ isn't, we have to resist it. If culture is saying this and the word says no, then the answer is no, period. So do we make a compound and go live off in the woods somewhere? We've actually talked about it as a staff without Pastor James in the room. Um, wish I could lie and say this was at a staff meeting, but this was actually at our staff retreat two years ago. It was about midnight, 1230 in the morning, not enough coffee or too much coffee. And a few of us began to uh, assign roles to our staff if we were to ever go on a compound and get out of culture, get out of all the craziness. So here are some of those roles just for laughs and humor. Um, Stephanie Pack and Stephanie Schreier would be over baking and cooking and group events. The Emersons would be over teaching all of the kids and being over nap time. I would be over consequences for all the kids and our supply spreadsheets and the coffee. Uh, <laughs> my team is laughing at me. Uh, Angela would be over at our newsletter and our garden. Bernie and Tim would be over hunting and dance class. Come on. <laughs> Who wouldn't pay to see that? Pastor James would be over PE, but just for the kids. I'm not doing that. And then defense of the perimeter Pastor Cody be over making our clothes and making the butter. And Tristan would be over singing us lullabies to sleep with his sweet voice. So my saying to go in the woods, what's the point here? I really don't have a point. That was just, I was getting preachy, so I wanted y'all to laugh a little bit. But the point is, is are we supposed to go off in the woods and not be the church? No. Jesus explicitly says to be in the world, but not of the world, to be in it, but not of it, to, to love it, to reside in it, but resist culture. Remain in it, but resist culture to advance his kingdom. So we gotta recognize what we're worshiping. We gotta recognize what's getting our attention, resist 
what's going on around us that's not of the Lord. And three is that we must be transformed by Christ. Romans 12, two, part B says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In real life, our high school ministry, we talked about this for a whole night three weeks ago. And this word transformed in the English is metamorphosis, but in the Greek it's metamorpho. So that's where our word, this picture of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, this verse is where this comes from, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Here's a definition of this. It says a change of the form or nature of a person into a completely different one, not a new one, or yes, a new one, but not like a transform, like where you're like morphing. It's completely new by natural or supernatural means. So how are we transformed? How does this happen? Because for so many of us, we've tried to resist the bad things, quote unquote, that we know is happening around us, but how are our minds transformed? We have to put in holy habits that are stronger than the habits that we already have. And it happens with the word of God and the Holy Spirit. So practically, how do we resist the formation from our habits, especially with our phones? Everyone say number one. Everyone say number one. So recognize this is a problem. It's not always a problem, but it can be a problem. We have to recognize that. Be mindful of how this is separating us from the people around us, how our phone is separating us from God. And just as true how our phone is separating us from us. Number two is limit your time on him. There's a couple of apps that take all of my time and you probably know yours. Set limits on those things. You can get accountability. Try to set goals for your screen time. Did you know you could pay a few bucks a month to give someone else access to your phones? And someone say, well, why would I wanna do that for accountability, for the sites that you're viewing or the things that you're looking at or the apps that you have or people that you're talking to? You can pay a few bucks and have accountability from a remote site, y'all, and that's very, very helpful. But even more than just limiting your time on that, invest in real people. Invest in real relationships. In our old building, I had two friends that are in the military, so they're not here uh, with us right now in Arkansas, but their names were Ben and David. And if you spent time around these two guys, they literally would never look at their phone to the point you could call Ben if you weren't with him and he wouldn't answer the phone for two days. He wouldn't call you back. But you be with them, y'all, and you could have an hour-long conversation or be with them the entire day, and you got all of their attention. Man, I felt like a million bucks being around them. I wanted to be around them because they made me feel valuable. I want to be a friend like that. I want to be a parent like that. I want to be a pastor like that. Number three is to rename your phone. And this is kind of joking, but maybe it'll work for you. I think smartphone is too positive. Smartphone is too positive. Call it a digital leash or a handheld handcuff, or a mindless rectangle, time thief, mobile Mordor, or you can think about some times in your life that you don't enjoy being in, and if you spend over your limit that you have set, you have to subject yourself to go drive in rush hour traffic in Cabot just around and around and around. Or maybe if you go over your screen time, you have to go sit on the home side bleachers of a football game as the sun's going down on a Friday night and have it pierce your eyes. Who designed that? Are you here? I'm serious. Like, I don't, I'm sure there's a reason somewhere. Well, it's one of the, so y'all are gonna ask Adam and Eve when you get to heaven, hey, why don't you, no, no, I'm gonna ask the guy who designed this stadium, what were you thinking? Or the woman, what were you thinking? Seriously, though, replace that time on your phone with holy habits. 
We talk about this with our high schoolers all the time, but it's not age-specific. If you are a believer, these are the three things that help us to resist culture. Number one is we have to get in the word. If you are not deeply formed by the word, you will be deeply misinformed by the world. And you being misinformed is gonna lead you to looking a lot like culture and a lot less like Christ. You gotta get in the word. Number two is to engage in true worship. We've already discussed this, but we all worship something. Something has our attention. Your life will move in the direction of your mind's strongest thoughts. And so if you want a pay raise at work, odds are you're going to move in that direction to get a pay raise. If you want a different spouse in your mind, odds are you're gonna move in that direction in your marriage. If you believe that God is faithful, that he is true, that he is good, odds are your mind is gonna lead you in that direction. Our lives move in the direction of our mind's strongest thoughts. May those things in our mind be of God. Number three is communicate in prayer. Very simply, you are who you turn to. If you turn to social media, you're gonna look like that. If you turn to gossip, you're gonna look like that. If you turn to wise counsel, eventually you'll become wise. If you turn to God, we're gonna look more like him every day. Transforming and renewing what you and I have programmed ourselves, we can't do by ourselves. I mentioned briefly that it's only done by the Holy Spirit and the word of God. There is no other option. There is no other way. Going back to consumerism, that is what culture is trying to sell us. There is another way. Just consume this. Try this out. No, it does not work. It has to be the Holy Spirit and it has to be the word of God. And please hear me, church. God's plan for your life will always involve you reading and falling in love with his word, period. It's always involved because if the truth, if it only stays in the book but doesn't get into your life, then it has no power in your life. When we are formed by Christ, we can walk in God's will. Romans 12, two, part C. As I begin to close, it says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What is God's will for my life? One of the most searched questions in history. God's will for every single one of our lives is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. To seek him first. And he'll direct us on the next step. And the next step. And the next step. I tell students all the time, and this is my own theology, it's not scriptural, but if you're asking for what's next and haven't done what God told you last, what makes you think that he's gonna tell you the next step? And again, that's not Bible, that's just my experience. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. I believe that's Matthew 6, 33. If you wanna be like God, if you wanna advance his kingdom, you have to do kingdom stuff. You have to have kingdom habits. Your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. The deepest desire is what you do on a daily basis. You're showing yourself, you're showing everyone around you. Habits shape humans into who we are. And so if you believe in Christ, your habits, your actions, they should show it. Not for show, but to show love to the world. You can't have the habits of culture and still be like Christ. There's no gray area with that. You can't be lukewarm in the kingdom. And today, even greater than our phones, 
For church as a whole, culture is trying to sway our mind and our will and our emotions and our feelings to the things that are not God's best. And it happens to all of us, it happens to the people that are the most dear to us, it happens to strangers. But many of us today, please hear me, we need to examine where we're at in our lives and in our hearts today, not tomorrow. We need the Holy Spirit to come in and to call out the areas in our life that we need to repent of, the habits that we know that we don't need in our life. So many people are walking away from what they know God is saying or they know who God is because of their feelings. And it breaks my heart. Maybe the greatest epidemic in the church is that people are exchanging their convictions and their callings for their comforts and their corruptions. They are exchanging what they know to be true for what they feel. They're exchanging their calling for their corruptions. I've been there. Maybe you're there too. And today is the day that you're examining with the power of the Holy Spirit. But please hear me strongly. Believing in God is not enough. The demons believe in God. In James 2, it says, the demons believe in God and they shudder. They at least have the right response, they fear. You know that humans are the only thing created that has a choice to respond to God or not. You have a choice every day, submitting your life to the one who made you. And I'll end with this. Your family and your friends, they don't need a stronger you. They don't need a smarter you. They don't need a you that gets paid more. They don't need a you that, that looks better, that has more followers, that's more fun. They need a more deeper you. They need you that's more holy, you that's more humble, you that's more surrendered to the things of the Lord. That's what your family needs. That's what your coworkers need, your kids, your spouse, your friends. That's what you need. And that's what the Lord wants from us. We need to turn our eyes back to Jesus, church. He is the only answer. He is the only way. Not to the patterns of this world, not to the habits of culture, but turning our eyes to Jesus, allowing him to transform us, to do good works, as Pastor James mentioned, since the beginning of time that he's predestined for us to do every day. But you gotta be submitted and surrendered. When you surrender to the Lord, you begin to fall in love with him and holy hunger becomes a lifestyle. It becomes who you are. Is it always easy? No, the old saints will tell you, no. But is it always worth it? You bet. Let's close our eyes, church. My heart for you is that you would be shaped and empowered by God to advance his kingdom. but that's really hard to do when you are Lord of your life and you're calling the shots. Right there in your seat, I want you to ask God, what are you saying to me and what do you want me to do about it? What choices do I need to make? What habits do I need to break? But the number one question I wanna ask you is where are you with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he Lord and Savior? 
Have you accepted his death as full and satisfactory payment for your sin? Knowing it's the only way you could be forgiven. And does he call the shots in your life? Is he Lord? I know many of you have been in church for a little while and you would call yourself a Christian, you would call yourself a believer, but you know that you have gone astray, you got off track, you're calling your own shots, you're doing your own thing. And you know today you have to rededicate your, your heart to God. It's not a performance, it's not about even the pastor, it's about you and the Lord. Or maybe you're sitting in here and you've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. You've never had that intentional conscious choice to say, God, I need you to save me from my sin. If you're here today and you know that you need to make Jesus Lord and Savior for the first time or first time in a long time, I'm not gonna call you out or embarrass you, but if you know that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now so I could pray for you. And as soon as I see your hands, you could put it down. Just allow me to see you. I see you over here on my right. Thank you. Got you right here. Thank you. The Lord sees you. The Lord knows your heart. He's proud of you. The enemy right now is wrestling with your mind saying you don't need to do this. That is a lie. You would just say, man, I know my heart is not positioned right. Is there anyone else in here? To my left, I see you. Thank you. Your hand does not get you saved, but Romans 10, 9 says that when you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, that is when you're saved. I see you right here. Thank you. So you can say a prayer just like this. Say, Jesus, I need you. Lord, I know I'm not perfect. I know I've sinned, but I know that you came from heaven and live a perfect life that you died a gruesome death, but you didn't stay dead. You came back to life by the power of your spirit and now your spirit is coming into me to help me live and be like you, to walk in my gifts, to have a relationship with you, a real one. Holy Spirit, lead me every day to walk in authority and power, to advance your kingdom, for you to be my best friend. Lord God, we love you. Lord, let us be a church when culture says yes, we say no. When the enemy comes roaring, we push back by the power of your word and your spirit and we say no. Holy Spirit, the next few moments to just invite you in to have your way and only the way that you can. We give you the entire room we love you, Jesus. It's in your precious and mighty and powerful name that I pray. And the church said amen. Amen. Church, we put our hands together. Three or four or five people made a decision for Jesus. Really good word. Uh, if you made a decision today to follow Jesus, please let us know about that. Uh, you can let us know on a connect card here in a little bit. We're gonna worship the Lord one more time. Our prayer team's down here. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, if you just want more of the Lord, you're in a place where you're saved, you just want more of Jesus, uh, more of, of who he is, more of the Holy Spirit, we'd love to pray with you about that. Uh, if you did make a decision, we encourage you, you need to declare your faith. Tell somebody as soon as you can, after this service, a great way to declare your faith in Jesus is through water baptism. So we encourage you to sign up to do that as well. 
uh, one of the thoughts, a couple of thoughts I had, I promise I'm not gonna preach a second sermon, but one thought I had is, you know, so much of what Pastor Ricky talked about today, our accountability and, and our protection is played out in biblical community. The reason why the early church gathered together, met together continually with glad and sincere hearts is because it held, helped them hold the line when culture was trying to come against them. We have to have biblical community that's outside of these services and outside of these four walls. You've gotta have people that are calling you, encouraging you and challenging you when they see you drifting off. If you're not plugged into a life group, it's not too late, but it can get to a place where it'll be too late. What I find is this, when somebody is plugged into a life group, their life is not perfect, they're not perfect, the people in their group are not perfect, but they're stronger than they would have ever have been without it. And what I find is I counsel way less people that are plugged into life groups than people that aren't because the manifested power of God in your life is gonna happen through relationships. He's called you and created you to be connected that way. So please make it your priority. The great thing is everything that he talked about today, God hasn't created you or designed you to do it by yourself. He's created you and designed you to do it with people in relationships. Another thought I had was this. Some of you may have been aware that there is, seems to be some revival breaking out at a school in Kentucky, Asbury, Kentucky. If you haven't seen it, you can look it up. But as I've looked at that and just seeing how the Spirit of God is moving there, a few things stood out to me. But what I noticed is some people wanna make it about, well, it's because of this style of worship that's happening there. It's because of this particular environment that was happening. Look, some of those things do play in. I find that the Spirit of God manifests pretty much where He wants to and where He's invited to. That's what I find. But here is the common theme in every great movement of God throughout history, there is a common thread and theme and that is this, repentance, repentance. The revival broke out in that same room back in 1970. There was a Jesus movement that happened during that era that impacted my parents, a lot of you. All of those great moves of God happen when people have a greater fear of God than they have a fear of man and what man thinks. There are two fears. They're actually manifested in Exodus. God called his people out to worship him in the wilderness. That was the intention. The intention was not originally to call them out to go to the promised land. The intention was to call them out to worship him. But the problem that happened is when the presence of God fell, there were two fears. One fear Moses had, and that is, if I don't get close to the presence of God, I'm gonna miss him. The other, the other fear was what the rest of the Israelites had that kept them off the mountain and out of God's presence, and that is, I don't wanna be exposed in God's presence. I wanna tell you this, there is nothing better than being exposed in the presence of God. And you don't want to wait another minute to be exposed in the presence of God because all of us will be exposed at one point or another. The life and life to the full that he has for you now is going to happen when you repent, get humble, get teachable, quit hiding stuff, quit letting stuff that's happening in secret 
spaces in your room continue to exist. Allow the enemy to continue to create condemnation and shame and guilt in your life. The moment that you're gonna see the presence of God moving is when you say, I have nothing, I am broken, all I have is you. And I'm confessing it, admitting it. Please move in my life. There has to be a desperation for it. I told you I wasn't gonna give you a second sermon and I lied. So here's the thing. I don't know when this is gonna happen for you, but if there is something you need to repent, run to repentance. You'll never regret it. There's lots of regret that happens when you don't. So I don't know what it is, but find somebody you trust as soon as you can and say, hey, I've been holding on to this. I've been keeping this a secret. It might be something that comes about as a conviction of something you heard from Pastor Ricky this morning. I don't know what it is, but let's get humble. Let's get teachable. If we'll repent, we will see God move. The most important place for revival to happen is in you first. The most important place for revival to happen is in your home first. It's in your relationships first. It's in your marriage first. God is not contained in a room. They've been there for over 100 hours. Great, praise God. I'm glad he's moving that way. But God doesn't call us to be in a room for 100 hours. He calls us to move out and let his spirit move through us. He doesn't call us to just stay in spaces. He's called us to move. He's called us to occupy. He's called us to be ambassadors of his love. So let that revival start in you. And if at one point or another, he wants to move in such a way and none of us can leave this room because his power and presence is so powerful, Bring it. You're gonna all have to get new jobs. You're gonna get fired. But if he moves that way, I'm ready for it. But you know where I really want him to move? In your homes, in your marriages, in your relationships with your kids, in your, in your places of work, in your neighborhoods. That's where we need revival to begin. If you'll get humble, you'll get teachable. He might just do it. Amen? I want to share a verse. I'm not going to share a verse. Stand up. We're going to worship the Lord one more time. And so it may be the Lord is leading you that you need to respond to what I'm talking about. Our prayer team is down here, okay? You can trust them. Some of you, as soon as I say that, you're like, well, if I go down there, everybody's going to know I got something to repent about. Who cares? What are you more concerned about? God's opinion or someone else's? You may need to just do it. You may just need to do it. If you need prayer for anything though, you need physical healing, God still heals. You need a miracle in your finances, God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You got a relationship that's broken, he's really good at healing stuff. You got sin to confess, he's better at forgiving than you could ever be at sinning. Whatever it is, let somebody join with your faith Let's pray, let's see a move. And I wanna thank every person who's been faithful with your giving. The verse that I was gonna share is David speaking. He's like, look, I, I, I'm old now. And, and as I've been old, I've never seen the godly have to beg for food. The righteous, the people who trust God, they always have plenty. They always have plenty. God supplies, God will take care of them. So for any of you, that are having a hard time trusting God with every area of your life, including your finances. I get it. A lot of times our finances can be the last place that we choose to trust God. 
But I wanna encourage you with this, you will never regret stepping out in it. So obedience is 10%, but if you can only give 1%, try it and watch God move, I promise he will. But some of us, he's asking us to do even more than that. He was, he's asking us to give an offering above and beyond. If he's asking you to do it, try it. You won't regret it. He'll bless you. I want to pray over our giving and then we're going to worship. Lord, thank you so much for being here and moving in this service. And we thank you for salvation that has come to a few of our brothers and sisters. Six or seven people between the two services. We thank you that this was the day of their salvation. Thank you, Jesus. But we also know that there's a work that you're still wanting to do even now. I pray that you would embolden people to respond. We need you. We are desperate for you. We love you. I pray that you bless, Lord. And I know that you will. Every person who's about to worship you in spirit and truth with their giving, their tithes and offerings. Thank you, God, for helping us become a church that can make an impact and make a difference. Give us wisdom to use every penny for souls, for your glory, and for your kingdom. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.